the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed. Good morning. It is eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on a Thursday, the 23rd morning of the sixth month. The year of our Lord, 2022. Really appreciate you being with us today. We've got a lot of work to do. We're going to jump right into it. A little uh, rundown of what's to come coming up in about uh, half an hour at 9.35. We're going to talk to Jack Boyle, longtime figure in uh, Cuyahoga County, Republican politics, state public politics, running for uh, state central committee. Uh, got a big endorsement last night in that effort, and he's got some stories to tell about our old friend Bob Paduchik, the thuggish um, chairman of the Ohio Republican Party, uh, the man who decides what is a journalist and what isn't a journalist and denies people access to ORP open events on that basis, the man who strong arms or tries to strong arm legitimate candidates out of races when he doesn't like them because they might not go along with his agenda and might threaten his unchecked power. Uh, yeah, yeah, Bob Paduchik, who needs to be run out of the ORP and as far as I'm concerned, run out of, run out of Ohio uh, while he's at it. 
refuses to address issues of corruption, questions of corruption, to say the very least, refuses to discuss $3 million missing dollars. Uh, yeah, uh, Jack Boyle has got a story to tell. He's going to tell it coming up uh, at about uh, 935. Maybe give us a rundown of some of the other results in the endorsement meetings that were held uh, last night for State Central Committee. So that's coming up at 935 at 1010, a special Thursday treat for you. You didn't get him on Tuesday because he was out of state. He's back now, and he's ready to go. That, of course, would be Peter Kersenow. So Kersenow at 1010. And then uh, at 1110, we're going to talk to somebody named R.C. Maxwell. It's somebody you don't know. He's the press secretary of um, Project Veritas. Project Veritas, which, as you know, has just done extraordinarily important work for the American people in getting to the bottom through extraordinary investigative journalism. Sorry to overuse extraordinary, but they really are. Uh, They're the ones who find ways to get into places where they shouldn't be, and they record conversations with people like Planned Parenthood talking about how much money they're making getting rich off of selling dead baby body parts. Uh, They have infiltrated Pfizer and uh, had uh, Pfizer executives on record talking about how much money they might make and what the reality is behind their their drug shots, their uh, profit shots. Now they've gone behind closed doors, if you will, to talk to Twitter employees. And there is exclusive leaked video now of Elon Musk's address to Twitter employees about what they are going to do uh, when he takes over the essential nature of free speech, uh, about Elon Musk voting Republican for the first time, and about Twitter evolving into something better than what it was. Project Veritas has published the recording of that internal Twitter company-wide meeting uh, in which he addressed thousands of Twitter employees and answered questions. And uh, we've got some of the audio we're going to play for you. And better than that, we have an interview coming up, as I say, with R.C. Maxwell. He is the press secretary for uh, Project Veritas. So those are the guests. Very much looking forward uh, to those conversations. And I look forward to hearing from you as well. 216-901-0945, Either one of those numbers is just fine by me. Now. I'm going to play two short clips. Well, actually, you know what? Let's do our Pledge of Allegiance before I dive into the uh, meat of, of what we're going to talk about today. First, friends and patriots, go, go ahead and rise, wherever you may be. First-time listeners, listeners might think this is silly. They might think that I'm crazy if I think that people are standing in their living rooms or their kitchens or wherever they may be. Uh, these people obviously don't know what patriotism is. They don't know the importance of this to people in this audience and people who listen to this radio show regularly. Uh, I know you're standing, and I know you're facing your flags. If you have one with your hand on your heart, and you're going to join us for this pledge. If you are a believer in surrendering your rights to the government because it's more convenient for them as they suck up to the gangrene lobby, then you don't believe in the liberty that that flag represents anyway, and you are exempted from my request to stand and face it and say your pledge. For the rest of us, however, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. I always try to tailor that uh, introduction of the pledge to what I'm talking about today, and that is exactly what I'm talking about today. So let me get into this a little bit. As I started to mention, I'm going to play two short clips of the President of the United States. 
as he stammers and yammers and stumbles to slur his words past his failing dentures and telling us about what we need to do with respect to gas, what we need to do with respect to dealing with what he called at one point uh, an incredible opportunity, an incredible opportunity to transition away. He said his dear old grandmother or mother or somebody said, you know, out of out of everything bad, something good rises if you look hard enough. And what's good is we can transition away from oil, transition away from fossil fuels. The man who said that said, this is how easy it is for you to give up or, or rather to help the cause. And it's simply a matter of give up your car. All right. You greedy, selfish capitalist, give up your car. This is what he said. And we're investing almost $100 billion in public transit and rail. For all the studies show that it will take millions of cars off the road and significantly reduce pollution if there's a serious transportation system available. You, uh, you catch that? We've invested a hundred billion dollars, a hundred billion dollars in in mass transit and rail. And if we all commit to mass transit and rail, we can take we can take cars off the roads completely. And we're investing almost a hundred billion dollars in public transit and rail. For all the studies show that it will take millions of cars off the road and significantly reduce pollution if there's a serious transportation system and all, and all And all you've got to do is just commit to taking public transportation to the grocery store to bring back your groceries. Take public transportation to your job, which may be 20 or 30 or 35 or 40 minutes away. Take public transportation to your kid's baseball game. Take a light rail to go out to eat. Ah, what are these car things? We need to take millions of cars off the road because they pollute. He said this. This is his solution. Millions of cars can be taken off the road. We're going to invest billions of dollars in in, uh, public transportation and rail. I don't know about you, but I kind of feel like when I need to go from here to there, I need a convenient mode of transportation. That's why I have a garage. I usually keep a convenient mode of transportation therein. And when I need to go from here to there, if we're going to the movies tonight or we're going to the ball game or we're going to wherever, I go out and I get into that transportation and I take it from here to there. I don't find a way to walk or bike or hike down to the local bus stop to go to the ball game or go to the grocery store. I don't want to have to walk or bike or hike or rollerblade down to the local train station to go to work. I have cars for that. Thank you. But, Joe, take your idea, shine it up real nice, turn it sideways, and shove it straight up your nose. Get millions of cars off the road to cut down the pollution? The man just made it clear again. He doesn't want gas prices to go down. It's all a gimmick. This gas tax holiday, this I'm going to meet with the energy uh, uh, energy leaders, the CEOs of the oil companies, and tell them to stop 
raising prices on gas. Well, wait a minute. Why don't you make it easier for them to explore and drill and find their energy, and then they will be able to provide, this is a simple matter of supply and demand, they'll be able to provide a higher supply to meet the demand, and the prices will go down. This man doesn't want to lower gas prices. He admitted it. It's about transitioning to clean energy. It's about transitioning to wind and solar and hydropower. No, no nuclear, by the way, which is also clean. No, 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 no. It's just got to be wind and solar and hydro. Oh, and electrical, of course, which he has no friggin' idea that electricity comes from natural gas. But he doesn't have an interest in any of these things that are afflicting you and me. He wants to please his gangrene crowd. He wants to, he wants to please the Green New Deal, the AOC wing of America. The Kamala Harris wing of America. The Bernie Sanders wing of America. What do they all have in common? They're all socialists. He wants to please them, not solve our energy crisis, our budget crisis, our inflation crisis, our gas tank crisis. And we're investing almost $100 billion in public transit and rail. For all the studies show that it will take millions of cars off the road and significantly reduce pollution if there's a serious transportation system It's all about pollution. Available. It's all about pollution. It's all about the energy, or the climate, rather. He doesn't give a rip one bit about you or me. And all of this, Corinne Jean-Pierre, he understands. He wakes up thinking about gas costs. He goes to bed thinking about gas costs. He cares so much. He knows what it's like. Hogwash. He is beholden, owned, lock, stock, and barrel by the green energy lobby. The second clip I need to play for you in the open is this condescending gem from Let's Go Brandon. So for all those Republicans in Congress criticizing me today for high gas prices in America, are you now saying we were wrong to support Ukraine? Are you saying we were wrong to stand up to Putin? Are you saying that we would rather have lower gas prices in America and Putin's iron fist in Europe? I don't believe that. And there it is. Let's go, Brandon, is telling you to sacrifice your family's lifestyle. Sacrifice not just the perks, not just the gravy in your life, but the entire meal. You can't afford to, to fill up your tank. You go to your you go to your gas station and have to put in a quarter or a half a tank until the next paycheck because you can't afford to fill the whole thing up when you're living paycheck to paycheck in Biden's America. And you have to accept that. You go to your grocery store and you accept half of a cart full of groceries for the week for the family. Either that or you hate Ukraine. You accept the higher cost of everything from diapers to, if they're available, baby formula and tampons, auto parts, used cars, clothing. You accept those higher inflated prices. Inflation was 1% back in January of 2021 when this man took over. By the end of 2021, it was 
Now here in the middle of 2022, it's 8.6%. And that's just consumer price index. That doesn't even factor in energy. That doesn't even factor in wholesale inflation costs. And if you aren't satisfied with it, if you are complaining about inflated gas prices and more, you hate Ukraine and you support Vladimir Putin's iron fist in Europe. That's that's his contention. Criticize him and you are supporting Putin. Criticize him and you oppose Ukraine's sovereignty. Isn't that what you heard? That's what I heard. So for all those Republicans in Congress criticizing me today for high gas prices in America, are you now saying we were wrong to support Ukraine? Are you saying we were wrong to stand up to Putin? Are you saying that we would rather have lower gas prices in America and Putin's iron fist in Europe? What I'm saying, you dementia-addled, disgusting leftist piece of human flotsam and jetsam is that gas was two bucks a gallon when you came in. Gas was three fifty before Putin ordered one Russian boot on the Ukrainian side of their border. You doubled our gas prices. You continue to do nothing to stop the increase in our gas prices. And we are critical of you because it is entirely your fault. Let me ask you, did Vladimir Putin sign off on the closure or the stopping of the construction of the Keystone XL pipeline, or did Joe Biden do that? I'll give you a moment to think it over. Yeah, that was you. Did Vladimir Putin ban drilling in Anwar and exploration for oil and natural gas? Did Vladimir Putin do that, or did Joe Biden do that? I'll give you a second to think about it. Yeah, that was you. Did Vladimir Putin cancel fracking leases all over federal lands, or was that Joe Biden? I'll give you a moment to think about it. That was you. Did Vladimir Putin declare all drilling offshore in the Gulf to be off the table? Or was that you? I'll give you a second to think about it. That was you. American gas prices began to spike when you signed all those EOs, all of those executive orders when you first came into office. That's when the destruction began of the energy industry, the oil industry, the fossil fuel industry in general, because it was all part of your plan. You know that. I know that. We all know that. And you bragged about that because we're changing people's lives. Yeah. You are making them all worse. I heard one phrase on the Hugh Hewitt program this morning from a caller of his that just stuck with me. And it stuck with me for the last two and a half hours since I heard it. There was a caller called into Hugh, and Hugh was asking people, how are these gas prices impacting your summer? What's changing in your summer because of these costs? People were calling in. And a gentleman called in, and he, they talked about that for a little while, and then just generally about the Biden policies, and Hugh said you can thank Biden for that and so forth. And the gentleman mentioned that he talked to a family member who is a hardcore Democrat. 
a hardcore Biden supporter. And Hugh laughingly, and I think accurately, said, oh, don't do that. Don't ever ask your family members who are leftists about any of this because you're going to lose your family members, right? But the guy said he did ask. And he said, what to his to Democrat family member, what in your life right now is better under Joe Biden than it was under Donald Trump? And the, the answer is what has stuck with me for the last two hours. She couldn't say the economy. She couldn't say crime. She couldn't say uh, immigration. She couldn't say anything about any individual aspect of her life that was better under Joe Biden. Her answer to him that stuck with me was, it makes me feel better. That's what the Democrats have. Joe Biden is an awful president. He is a horrible, horrible horrible president but it makes me feel better because he's not donald trump think about that it's nine twenty-six. this is always right radio on am 1420 the answer waking up america from its woke slumber Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. 9.37, thanks for being with us on this Thursday. Don't forget, Kirsten Al coming up after the top of the hour. That line is going to stick with me for some time, I can tell you. And I'm going to probably reference it on the air many times between now and November. Uh, November specifically, of course, because of the midterm elections and maybe a slight chance of I don't know, limiting the amount of damage that uh, that Let's Go Brandon can do. But ask directly by her family member, what is better in your life now than it was under Donald Trump? And her answer was, I feel better. Or it makes me feel better. I mean, the caller was re- re- retelling the story to Hugh Hewitt. I may have... Uh, not be saying it exactly correctly. It was either it makes me feel better or I feel better. I'm paying more money for everything. There's a massive culture war. Our children are being turned into sexualized beings. Our southern border has been erased. Our national sovereignty is gone. We have record high drug overdoses and fentanyl deaths in this country. An increase in gang activity, an increase in drug cartel activity. Crime, skyrocketing. Murder rates, skyrocketing. Inflation, skyrocketing. Gas prices, skyrocketing. Baby shortage formula. But I feel better. Because he's not Trump. There has to be a mental condition. Or rather, there has to be a name for such a mental condition. And I know some people like to throw around, you know, uh, terms about Trump, and but but it's more than Trump derangement syndrome. There's 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 got to be a literal psychological diagnosis that can be made by psychiatrists or psychologists, not by just politicians and people like me who say Trump derangement syndrome. No, no, no has to be a real thing. Your life is spiraling out of control. The lives of your family, the lives of your community, the lives of your people in your state, the lives of the country are spiraling out of control with the worst leadership since Jimmy Carter and maybe beyond Jimmy Carter because he's worse than Jimmy Carter. And she says, I'm happy because I feel better. 
because it's not Trump. There's got to be a condition that, that can be identified there. All right, uh, let me dial back in now. I, it's going to stick with me for a while. Like I said, I apologize to Jack Boyle for taking a couple of minutes of our conversation away, but I just uh, sometimes you just have to say what you feel, and that's the way I felt. I felt kind of interesting, too, uh, a couple of nights ago when we had our great big party on Tuesday night at Harry Buffalo, our 100th anniversary slash birthday party of WHK. I was talking to Jack Boyle a little bit, who was regaling me with a, uh, with a phone call he had from the chairman of the Ohio Republican Party, because Jack is running for a spot uh, in the ORP's State Central Committee. And, uh, boy, I thought it was such a great story. Uh, I asked him to come onto the radio and tell it to our audience. And so, sure enough, fresh off of uh, a great night in which he was successful in earning an endorsement in his race in the State Central Committee, uh, here's Jack uh, Jack Boyle, a longtime Republican activist and strategist and supporter and now candidate for the State Central Committee. Hey, Jack, good to have you. How are you, my friend? Good, uh, Bob. Good morning, and thank you. And, and you know, just uh, as you're talking about this, uh, you know, the meeting was over in Rocky River. Uh, I live in Scrin Falls, and uh, you know, it cost me 85 bucks to fill my tank. Uh, you know, on, to get over there, which uh, never ever ever even reached 50 dollars uh, when uh, President Trump was uh, was in office. And, and I recall that uh, it seems to me I filled my tank on Election Day in 2020, and it was a dollar 79.9. So. Uh, you know, just to, you know, all the things that you're talking about here, just to kind of come back to you continuously, you know. So, but uh, yes, indeed, I. But as long, uh, but as long as, but as long as you feel better, as long as you don't <laughs> yeah, have well, to read mean tweets and see an orange face yeah. on the nightly news saying things you, you don't like, you you you're willing to pay that extra thirty five bucks to fill up your tank for now. It'll be more in a, in a week yeah. or two, but you're, you're that, yeah, that, that way it goes. Yep, I'm sure that's exactly right. I, I certainly feel so much better. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, as you said, I'm I'm uh, a candidate for the uh, the Republican State Central Committee, and uh, um, I uh, I was uh, was pleased to uh, get the endorsement of the County Republican Party at the meeting last night, and uh, and frankly a little bit surprised, but uh, but was 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 gratified. There was you know, a lot of support, and uh, and you know I. It, it was it was a wonderful boost to my campaign and and uh, hopefully will help me uh you know, be successful. Give me, on give me some 2nd. background, Jack. Give me some background, and thank you for pointing out August second. Uh, I was talking to uh, Rich uh, Barron, uh, uh, Richard Barron, about a week ago or so, and we were talking about his race and and trying to get rid of Dave Johnson. And uh, and I think he said August third, and a couple of times I might have repeated that. So it's August second, and he said, you know, we'll be lucky if we get eight percent. I think he was the one who told me that we'll be lucky if we get eight percent turnout for this, you know, special August uh, uh, primary because of the way things happen and the way things were split, and after all of the redistricting and so forth and so he's not expecting a huge turnout so i want everybody to know the actual date it is august 2nd and the turnout is extraordinarily important if we're going to turn around uh the horrifically led and feckless uh ohio republican party and provide it with new leadership which is what i know you are 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 you know committed to doing jack so give us a little background here on the race you got an endorsement for uh you know and 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 then like i said be (laughs) Be specific in telling us uh, yep. about your conversation with the chairman, if you would. Well, I'm running in the 18th Senate District, and the 18th mm-hmm. Senate District is sort of the the, the southeast corner uh, and, and eastern edge of Cuyahoga County from Independence, Rexville, over to Solon, up to uh, through uh, Pepper Pike and Moreland Hills and Scrin Falls, up to uh, 
uh, I guess, Hunting Valley and whatever, and then all of Lake County. So the majority of voters are in Lake County in this uh, uh, district, which is fine. I've been, uh, as you know, you said, I've been an activist for a long time, and you know, lo- know lots of people up there go to the, the – there's a lot of very great activist groups up there that – yeah, you know, I love their meetings and that kind of thing. So it, it, it I mean, it was a natural uh, for me as far as this district. Um, I am uh, my opponent is the the incumbent, this guy named Dan Carter, who has uh, been on the committee for uh, for some years. I'm not sure six or eight. Uh, there was one little hiatus where he was defeated, but uh, uh, the guy who beat him uh, just a couple of months after he won uh, had a heart attack and died. And uh, uh, Dan came back and ran and was elected again two years later and has been on the committee since. Uh, and Dan's been a big uh, ally of, of Bob Paducic in the uh, in all of the battles here over uh, the past year, you know, relating to you know the financial issues and uh, endorsement issues and that kind of thing. So, um, but uh, but the interesting thing was I didn't particularly intend to run against Dan Carter. Uh, in fact, when uh, when I decided to run again. Um, I, uh, we were on the second set of maps. If you remember, we ended up having four sets of maps, uh, you know, uh, and that's another fiasco that you've spent time talking about. But uh, in the second set of maps, I was in uh, the 27th district, which was parts of uh, Geauga, uh, Cuyahoga, and Summit County. And again, lots of friends and lots of associates and, you know, over the years there. And um, then the maps changed. Okay, so... Uh, you know, bottom line is, uh, you know, on Monday afternoon, I was uh, my phone rang and I was very shocked to uh, realize that uh, it was Bob Panucic calling me. And I've known Bob for years, okay, uh, and I've worked with him. I've known him since he uh, ran uh, uh, Rob Portman's campaign in 2010, okay, and uh, uh, I've been around for a long time, so has he. But anyway, I, you know, I hit Bob and he says, Jack, I'm trying to uh, understand why you would file to run against an incumbent uh, state Census Committee member Dan Carter, and I said, "Well, Bob, I didn't. I, I didn't. When I filed, I was in the 27th district. It was an open seat." Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, "Well, you're in the district now." And I said, "Well, actually, when uh, the third maps came out, I thought about what should I do, and and I thought, you know, this has been so messed up. Who knows how many sets of maps there are going to be? I'll just wait and find out where I'm actually, uh, you know, going to be running." And he said, "Well, you're in this district now, so why don't you drop out?" And I said, well, um, Bob, I've known you for a long, you and I have known each other for a long time. But I've actually known Dave Johnson longer. And I know you just mentioned Dave. And I will say this parenthetically, um, I really like Dave Johnson. I've known him for a long time. I think he's a very good man. I think he's kind of gotten caught in this. And uh, and I have never, I have not spoken to him about it. So whatever, I hear sort of a little bit in the grapevine that he's kind of annoyed that he got put into this, you know, pressure cooker. Uh, you know, when Dave, when you go after Dave, he gets his back up and he, you know, he responds. So, but, uh, well, I told Bob, you know, Bob, I've known you for a long time. You and I have known each other for a long time. I've known Dave Johnson longer. And the idea to me that Dave Johnson would do anything illegal or unethical is absurd. I don't believe it. Uh, and I have no particular knowledge about this stuff. But I said, however, clearly there are some, you know, accounting issues here, and I don't think we've handled this very well. And I start trying to explain what I mean, and Bob starts shouting at me, Jack, Jack, Jack! He, like, scared me. 
And I stopped talking, and he said, Jack, if that's the way you feel about this, don't you ever call me for a favor again. And I said, Bob, hey, I've, hey. Never called you. I've never called you for a favor. At which point he said, well, don't you call me again. Lose my phone number. And he hung up. And I, I, I was stunned. Honestly, I was stunned. I just sat there thinking, what just happened? Why did he did he think I would did he think I didn't know who I was running against that I hadn't actually decided that I was going to make this run did, did you know did he think you know I mean he didn't try to convince me to drop out he just sort of shouted at me and hung up you know and uh, did he think he could intimidate me I don't I don't understand what the point of the Well I think was. you just hit it I think you just hit yeah. it his 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 trying to convince you to drop out was his I'm Bob Paduchik drop out that was it and and i expect you to follow because i'm the chair and i'm the i'm the the power player here you're nobody uh we have an incumbent there how dare you challenge an incumbent now that you know you're in a race against an incumbent and not an open seat then why don't you drop out that's his (laughs) attempt to convince and when you push when you expressed any resistance whatsoever like all bullies by the way he, he he began to bully and then of course to run away uh, doesn't want to debate you, doesn't want to talk about why, doesn't want to hear your explanation, just... Because that's what thugs do, and Bob Paduchik is a straight-up, old-style mafia thug. That's the way he runs the ORP, and it's why the ORP is in the position it is, which is in a position of trash. That's, 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 that's how I see it, Jack. Go ahead. I will say this. I think um, uh, the party is in disarray. And, uh, you know, and it, again, this past year has been... Just horrendous. Okay, for for you know for lifelong Republicans. I mean, uh, I am gratified that Ohio has trended red, but uh, it's been despite the party, not because. And uh, um, you know, and you know, that's why I'm running. We need to get this. Uh, we need to get this straightened out. I, you know, I made the pledge. I uh, at the meeting last night. I literally told that story. And um, you know, when I when I how was that received? Jack- how was that received? You told that story you know, from the podium. I actually told a story. Everybody was sort of, you know, aghast. And then I said, so I'm here to pledge that uh, I'm going to do everything that I can to be sure that we actually have an audit and that let the chips fall where they may. Whatever is there, we've got to get it out and get it in the open and get and, and deal with it and get past it. We, we You know, everything I can do to have the... the uh, Meetings done according to the bylaws, like, for instance, have open meetings, which the bylaws clearly say we, we should do. Uh, and, frankly, I got a very, very nice round of applause from the group, okay, for, for, for those pledges. I will say that, you know, Dan spoke uh, after I did, and uh, he said, well, yeah, he, yeah, Dan, Dan's been, you know, active as, as long as I have or longer, okay, although uh, Dan's been a, in, sort of an inside guy. I don't think the, the – uh, Kind of grassroots, grassroots know him very well. All of the, you know, the party insiders know him. But um, he said, "Well, I just want Jack to know that an audit is going on right now, so I hope he feels better." And uh, you know, if had I had the opportunity to speak again, I'd said, "How many years have you been on the committee, Dan? Uh, you, you know, if if there's an audit going on right now, the bylaws say every year. You know, what about last year and the year before and five years ago when you were on the committee? Where was the audit?" You know, so um, 
I, you know, I, I, uh, I was gratified, and it was it was a narrow vote uh, uh, that uh, you know, but that gave me the endorsement. Um, and uh, um, you know, I, again, but I the bottom people, line here, the bottom line here is you do have the endorsement. I'm staring at Dan Carter for CentralCommittee dot com right now, and you might want to make a phone call when you and I hang up and tell uh, him to tell his web designer to change the homepage because it says at the bottom <laughs> under his picture, Republican Party of Cuyahoga County endorsed. Not anymore, okay. Dan. Um, I don't know anything about Dan Carter, so let me ask you this. Uh, mm-hmm. Is he an independent-minded individual? Does he do things on his own, or is he one of the sheep that pledged fealty to Bob Paduchik and will do whatever Bob Paduchik tells him to do? Okay, well, I, I'm not going to speak for Dan. All I'm going to say is uh, I went to uh, two of the four Central Committee meetings over the past year when, you know, the financial statements and the, you know, attempt to endorse the, the governor for election were happening and Dan, literally, Dan and one other guy in Summit County literally seconded every motion to support, uh, you know, the chairman's uh, thing. So whenever someone from the committee would say, you know, we need to uh, have an audit, we need to do this, we need to do that, uh, there would be a motion to table it, and Dan would second the motion. So. Just from observing his... That's a good answer. That's a fair answer. You're not speaking for him. You're just talking about what has happened and telling us what you've observed. That, that's fair, uh, Jack. We're talking to Jack Boyle, if you just turned us on. Jack is running for state central committee. He's running against Dan Carter, and uh, he just got the Republican Party of Cuyahoga County endorsement last night. Um, real quick, when we talk about the audit, uh, you, we're not talking about the full financial audit of the ORP, are, are we? Well, you know... That, that, that's the one That's the one that Mark Bainbridge filed a lawsuit to make happen uh, because yeah. they won't yeah. do it. And when I talked to Richard right. Barron uh, last week, uh, you know, he was the one who told me that the three members of the audit committee uh, are essentially, you know, uh, they're loyal to and pledge their fealty to Paduchik. And if Paduchik and your friend Dave Johnson, who, uh, you know, is the, is the treasurer, doesn't want the audit, then there will not be one. These uh, They will not cross him. So, I mean, when you said, when, when Dan said an audit is underway right now, what audit is he referring to? I have no idea. I don't know what that means. I don't, you know, again, the bylaws say they're supposed to be a full audit annually. Uh, you know, I, I was a, a banker for my career. I'm retired now a long time ago and a financial advisor and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- that, to me, means an audit, you know, the kind of thing that a CPA firm does that comes in. And I've, I, you know, in my years uh, as a banker, you know, at times had auditors asking me questions about this account or that transaction or this or that or whatever. That's what happens in an audit. Um, that's what I read the bylaws to require, um, that, you know, there have been things that they call an audit that then they say, well, it's really a review or it's this or it's that or whatever. Um, as far as I'm aware, there has not been, I have no idea how long I know people say 16 years. Uh, you know, I, I have no way of, of knowing that directly, uh, from my, you know, uh, experience, but, uh, um, yeah. I know, you know, I what I understand to be an audit, uh, you know, maybe one's going on right now. If it is, it's news to me, and it seems to be news to everybody else. You know, um, I think it but, would be. Uh, I think it would be on the Ohio papers if it was. I think Ohio Press Network could have, and so would the Ohio Star, and Mark Bainbridge would be talking about it because this is what they had literally. He has filed a lawsuit well, to do, and and Johnson refuses to to go along with. So, uh, last thing, Jack, because I'm out of time here. 
Uh, and you don't have to answer this, by the way, but I'm just going to ask it anyway. If you get onto the this committee and you win this race, and people like Shannon Burns and others who are reform-minded for the ORP, will you vote to remove and replace the chairman? Well, I, you know, there's actually something who's out trying to get people to pledge that. And I, when I look at the bylaws, I don't know that, you know, I, I think you can vote a, a vote of no confidence for the chairman. I'm not sure in the bylaws it says you can do that. One way or another, uh, you know, obviously we're un- unhappy with uh, with uh, uh, Bob's, you know, tenure as the chairman. Uh, uh, w- however, it might be able to be done in accordance with the bylaws, which is, you know, I'm going to say that over and over again because we've ignored them here for, for you know, a while. But uh, the committee will vote for a chairman next January. That's provided in the bylaws. And so if it doesn't happen before then, absolutely, we'll, uh, we'll be voting for someone, uh, you know, presumably other than, than, than Bob. Okay. That, that, that's what I want to know, because I want everybody who does win a spot on the State Central, Com- State Central Committee to commit to fixing it. And the fact is, yep. the ORP is a laughingstock. The ORP is an embarrassment. The ORP is right now presumed to be corrupt because questions about three million missing dollars are not being answered. They could, you said you know and respect and have known Johnson mm-hmm. for years and years, and you could never imagine him doing anything, but, uh, you know, uh, that wasn't above board. I'll believe you. I'll mm-hmm. take you at your word. Uh, but, but here's what has to happen. Let's prove that so that everybody's name is cleared. I would think that the Bob Paduchik, Dave, I would think they would all want to say, bring the audit on. We have never done anything wrong. And if there is an accounting error or two or something that that led to this, let's fix it immediately because we want our names to be beyond reproach. We want our committee. We want the, the Republican Party representing millions of people in this state. We want it to be, uh, you know, said with respect and reverence, not that we look like a bunch of corrupt people trying to cover our own asses and that's exactly what paduchik and the treasurer johnson do right now and 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 in my, in my estimation that cannot stand that's what mark bainbridge is trying to do saying look if you're not guilty of anything great that's awesome we don't want you to be let's get an audit and prove that so that we don't have to deal with all of this nonsense anymore and we can go forward with doing what's right for the people of ohio that's what i want them to do but this this chairman has no interest in doing that jack boyle i'll give you the last 30 well, seconds i'm way late anyway. okay. in saying what you said you just gave the reason you gave the reason i'm running uh you know i'm a lifelong republican i i'm appalled at you know the optics, if you will, just you know, if 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 there's nothing wrong, why are we high running and hiding, slamming doors on reporters, and you know, banning them, that kind of thing? Exactly. Let's get it all out. If there's a problem, get it out and deal with it and move on. Because we got a lot of stuff in this state that needs to get done, and uh, yeah. the party's a hindrance, not a not a help. It should be, you know, leading us, and it's instead we're dragging an anchor with this uh, with Jack. This. Uh, Jack Boyle, listen, congratulations on the endorsement from the uh, Republican Party of Cuyahoga County. It's well-earned. I'm glad for that, and we will continue to talk about your race and others to make sure that we can bring some, I don't know, some honesty and integrity back to the Ohio Republican Party and the State Central Committee as uh, you vote. Uh, we all go to vote in uh, in August. Jack, thanks so much for the story. Thanks for, uh, for coming on. We'll talk to you Thank again. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. You got it. Take care. All right, there you go. That's Jack Boyle. We blew past everything, so we're out till news. We'll come back with Kersano on the other side. AM 1420, The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. 
We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Hour uh, number two underway now at 10 minutes after 10 o'clock. How we were able to make that on time, I don't know. Johnny Hiles is a magician. Seriously, that Can was. Uh, you that was well dig it. It's just a little, little inside baseball here. When I do the national shows for Dennis Prager or for Larry Elder, now uh, Officer Tatum, and, and those kinds of things on the national clock. You can't be late because you got stations all over the country that have to hit their marks. So you got to be out when it's time to be out. On the local show, I can kind of fudge it a little bit, and I do a lot. I just fudged my way through the entire nine fifty break, blew it off, and it had to combine it with the top of the hour break. And somehow, Johnny Hiles was able to manipulate time and space. I don't know. He interrupted the uh, the time space continuum or something and got it all done. And we were in time at ten ten to get back on the air. So thanks for being with us. Uh, thanks also to Jack Boyle and good luck to Jack Boyle and to Shannon Burns and everybody else who is GOP or excuse me Ohio Republican Party reform minded uh, in this state. This state has such potential to be such a leader, a red state conservative constitutional leader in this country. And instead, it's filled with rhinos who are just completely weak, wishy-washy, squishy, whatever you want to call them, DeWine, leadership in the state house, and yes, leadership at the top. I swear to goodness, Paducic is nothing more than an old school family capo. Uh, and, uh, and if you dare to challenge him, boy, you better be a made man. Uh, and you're not, if you're not, he's coming for you. That's what he tried to do to Jack Boyle. Thank you, Jack. Great story. All right, let's dive on, dive in now. Special treat for you on this Thursday. And that, of course, is Peter Kersenow. He was out of state doing business on Tuesday, and he was kind enough to find another time to get in for us. And uh, Peter Kersenow, uh, longest-serving commissioner in the history of the uh, of the Commission on uh, Civil Rights, the National Commission on Civil Rights. Uh, he is a Cleveland attorney. He is a best-selling author. He is a columnist sometimes. He's a law professor sometimes. But most of the time, he's also the uh, uh, weekly guest, our favorite commentator on AM 1420, The Answer. Hey, Pete, good morning, my friend. Good to have you back. Uh, thanks very much, Bob. Two points of personal privilege, if I can. I just want to say something. It's an observation. I was out of town on Tuesday. I was in Denver. Just an observation as the plight of Clevelanders. Mm-hmm. I was in our labor negotiations, and for the first 45 minutes of the negotiations, we weren't talking about wages, hours, or terms and conditions of employment. We were talking about the drive, the fumble. They kept twisting the knife in. <laughs> People don't forget these things, you know. And when I go to Pittsburgh, when I'm negotiations or arbitrations or cases in Pittsburgh, it's the same kind of thing, you know, the futility of the Cleveland Browns. And they also wanted to know about Deshaun Watson, of course. Um, everyone thinks it is. It, it could be a brewing debacle, despite the fact that you know there's. It looks like there may be light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe there won't be you know protracted suspension. I happen to think it, they can't avoid it really. But uh, and then they went on the Guardians too. Why did we change the name? I mean, it was like it was a, 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 Cleveland's greatest hits or failure to hit. 
Well, you know what? Uh, it, it, first of all, tell them that the Indians uh, are in first place. So that's one thing. Uh, that's a good retort right there. Literally first place all by themselves now. Right. That's a pretty remarkable thing. Yep. Uh, and number two, they're still Indians. Uh, they can take their PC name and go to hell with it. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 and number two, uh, ask them why they were the first state to start the slide uh, into recreational marijuana being legalized and ruining and poisoning and polluting the minds of young people all across the country they were first in colorado so appreciate your contribution to our american society and our american culture that's right right rocky mountain high that's for sure rocky mountain high i'm into that all right pete um so much to get into here i want to get you i i know you're busy and you usually have work to do before you come on and spend an hour with us uh so you probably didn't hear this um Joe Biden was asked uh, yesterday, well, I don't know if he was asked uh, or if this was just part of his remarks, but I want you to, to listen to his latest explanation on how to handle the gas crisis, the $5-plus national average before it was, hey, everybody get into an EV. Never mind the fact that Kelly Blue Book lists the average price of an electric vehicle is $56,000. So you can't afford 5 bucks a gallon, but you can afford 550 bucks a month in a car payment, right? So his latest is, don't use cars at all. And we're investing almost $100 billion in public transit and rail. For all the studies show that it will take millions of cars off the road and significantly reduce pollution if there's a serious transportation system available. So he essentially admitted the goal. The goal isn't let's make gas cheaper for you so that you can have freedom, so that you can have autonomy to go where you want when you want. Get on the bus, get on the train, never mind if it doesn't go past where you need to be, but find a way to walk, hike, or bike to a train stop or to a bus stop or something and take that public transportation to the grocery store because that's super convenient rather than getting in your car. Let's get them off the road because it helps fight pollution. He essentially said it out loud. I'm not trying to solve the energy crisis with fossil fuels. I want to end fossil fuels so that we can indeed convert to green energy um, and stop pollution. Uh, that's kind of dovetailing on what he said a couple of weeks ago, which was... When it comes to the gas prices, uh, we're going through an incredible transition that is taking place, that God willing, when it's over, we'll be stronger and the world will be stronger and less relying on fossil fuels when this is over. So, Pete, I just want you to comment on, you know, this... This dog and pony show, the, hey, I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna push for a, for a national, a federal, uh, gas tax holiday. Uh, yeah, I've increased gas prices by $3 a gallon since Trump <laughs> left office, but I'm gonna give you 18 cents back per gallon. So that's gonna give you a little breathing room, as his dad used to say. What's your response to that? Yeah, you know, this is one of those things where we could actually talk about this for, well, days, probably. But uh, I do. just a couple of points. Yeah, yeah, just a, and you do a good job. And just a couple of points on this. First of all, none of us well, strike that. Um, we thought that we were either voting for or against Joe Biden, who did not embrace the way Bernie Sanders did carrying the water of the Gang of Four and specifically AOC, the Green New Deal. But we are getting the Green New Deal hard and fast right now. This is the Green New Deal. And it's a myopic vision that was only centered on the core constituency of the Democrats, that is the environmentalists and people living in urban areas. Even if you were to accept the premise that somehow we're going to be transitioning, and it's a good thing to transition to, um, you know, 
mass transportation, buses, rail, so forth. And we've got buses, we've got rail, and we use it, you know, I think as appropriate. But the fact of the matter is, the blue areas, concentrated in urban areas, yeah, they can take these things. You know, New York City, people can take the subway if they don't, you know, unless they want to get, don't want to get mugged. Uh, and they can take other forms of mass transportation. But this is a big, big, big country. And just outside of the urban areas, even in suburban, not even exurban areas, people need their vehicles for their daily lives, to go to work, to commute to school, to um, get their groceries, to get supplies, all of those things. One of the things that makes America clearly you clearly you hate the planet. Tell me, people, <laughs> people need their vehicles. What's the matter with you? What's more important, needing your vehicle to get from here to there, or saving the planet? Because Peter, I'm, and obviously I'm, uh, I'm being a little facetious here, but but this is his argument. It literally is. It's yeah. The, yeah. And, and and you know what? While you're while you're monologuing on this, Pete. Um, include this part of it too, just because of the you know the, the 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 stretch that I just made there. But but it's not that far off. Listen to this part. So for all those Republicans in Congress criticizing me today for high gas prices in America, are you now saying we were wrong to support Ukraine? Are you saying we were wrong to stand up to Putin? You catch that, Pete? If you don't like $5 gas prices, you hate Ukraine. If you don't yeah, like right. $5 gas prices, you support Putin and his iron fist throughout Europe. That's He's literally telling us, if you if you oppose what we've done here that has led to gas pri- high gas prices, you hate Ukraine and you support Putin. That's the president of the United Bleeping States, Pete. Include that in your commentary. Go ahead. Yeah, you know, I wish we had uh, your your show was five hours long, because this is just a great topic. You can go on and on and on and on about this. The fact of the matter is, Jerome Paul yesterday testified that this Putin's war or Putin's gas increase or price increase has nothing to do with the current state of gas prices. Nothing whatsoever. 90% of all the inflation occurred prior to February of this year when Putin invaded. This is all. This is how pathetic it is that all Biden has are these blatant lies that are so easily fact-checked. At least when Clinton or Obama would lie to us, you know, it required of going through a few layers before he could get to actual facts. Biden is so transparent in his lies, and nobody's accepting it. We can look at the polling data. So this is all they've got. They're really grasping at the only thing they've got available, their only lifeline. They're cratering in the polls for good reason. And I wish they would simply acknowledge the fact that these excuses, these lies that they're telling aren't working. So why not do the right thing for the American people? Okay, since they're not working, maybe you can improve your poll numbers. If guess what? You did something that actually lowered gas prices and improved the lives of your constituents and not the gang of four. He is um, pitching solely to a very narrow, narrow segment of his base. And the rest of the American people are saying, wait a minute, I want lower gas prices. I like my car. Maybe at some point, a hundred years from now, we'll all be George Jetson flying around in, you know, uh, solar-powered flying saucers or something. But that's not happening right now. And we didn't vote for that. We didn't vote for the Green New Deal. The Green New Deal was rejected at the polls. But, you know, uh, even the Democrats right now are in a scramble because they see the debacle that's unfolding electorally. They're going to get wiped out. You know, there's nothing that's going to happen between now and November short of some, unless Donald Trump detonates a nuclear weapon. And if a nuclear weapon goes on, I'm sure they're going to, it goes off even wherever it may be in Afghanistan. They're going to blame Donald Trump for it. But they're going to get wiped out. It's going to be, you know, I don't mind making this prediction. Yes, the usual caveat is it's a long time between now and November. 
but it's also usual uh, a usual point of fact that in off election years that is midterm elections what you see in terms of polling data as of Memorial Day usually pertains through Election Day. There may be a blip here and there, even when there's a significant change, such as going to war, um, uh, it is in the electoral landscape, it doesn't change dramatically. So they're going to get wiped out, and if they're going to get wiped out, at least do the right thing for the American people. The American people are suffering right now, regardless of what happens to you in the polls. So do the right thing for the American people. But I think this really goes to the fact that they're so ideologically driven. Their ideology, I think, supersedes their concern for the country and the American people. And I, I'm well, and their agenda. They're agenda driven yeah. as much as ideologically. Not that they're, those two are mutually exclusive, of course, but their ideology drives their agenda. And Pete, as you and I have talked about many, many times, um, it's not a failure to secure the southern border, for example. This is yeah. not, there's no attempt. It's not like they're trying and failing. There's no attempt because it is intentional. They want as many people to flood that border as possible because once they get in and they are apprehended, it's catch and release. They're never coming back for their hearings on asylum. We all know what's going on down there. It's intentional. And this is intentional in the energy game as well. He has said it time and again. He said it when he was running. He has said it since he's been president. And that is, I I will kill the fossil fuel industry. Read my lips. I guarantee you. Hold I have on. to agree. But I want you to look in my eyes. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. We're going to end fossil fuel, and I am not going to cooperate with you, okay? So nothing he says from this point forward about Chevron and Exxon and all of these oil company executives, you need to lower the price for these people. The people need you to lower the prices. He doesn't give a rip about them and, in fact, wants to destroy them, wants to kill millions of jobs, wants to completely cut off the lifeline that this entire country runs on, and that is its oil and its natural gas and its coal, its fossil fuels. He said it, Peter, so the it's like the border, the energy game. There's no attempt to fix it. They don't want to fix it. They just have to try to not lose too many seats in November as they watch our country implode. Biden has not learned the lesson of his other fellow Democrats who have at least been had a measure of success, such as his former running mate, uh, Obama, who would lie about his agenda, not tell you what he was attempting to do, even though if you look closely, you got a pretty good idea, but he would lie about it. Obama would never say, for example, I'm trying to kill fossil fuels. He knows that that would be poison at the polls. As you said, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of, of jobs dependent upon it, and the livelihoods and standard of living for millions of Americans are profound profoundly affected by that. So they'll try to say something else and then try to sneak their agenda through. Biden is not smart enough to even understand that imperative, and it's going to cost them electorally at the polls, as it should. And I think we're going to have a course correction. Um, the, the problem is we should have a course correction. I think that uh, people in Congress and other Democrats will be sufficiently chastened by the shellacking they're going to get. And again, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I think that it's pretty clear they're going to get creamed. But Biden's not smart enough to change course. This is an old man who's been embalmed in the Senate for a long time. He has these sclerotic ideas about policy that haven't changed since he was in Delaware in 1980. And I think it's going to redound to the detriment of the Democrats, thankfully, in November. But between now and then, he's causing incalculable damage to the American people and to the United States as a whole. The, the strength of yeah. our country and our economy, you know, a lot of commentators, and you've said this before, uh, you know, 
America runs on fossil fuels. It runs on its energy. And when we had energy independence, we were net exporters, the biggest net exporter of energy for a brief period under Trump. And we could do that again because we have abundant resources, incredible resources. We haven't even begun to tap. Yet we're keeping it in the ground, not doing anything about it because we have these folks who spend too much time in Philosophy 101 at Bowdoin or Brown. Those things don't matter, though, because it's Putin's price hike. You see, Putin voted to... Uh, uh, well, actually, actually, Putin, Putin signed the executive order... Putin signed the executive order to halt the Keystone XL pipeline construction. He signed the EO to stop drilling in Myanmar. He signed the EO. Did you see it? Yeah, he had uh, a, yeah. a whole bunch of pens there. And he signed the, the EO to stop drilling right. in the Gulf uh, to strip uh, uh, exploration from federal lands and more. Pete, quick time out here. Come right back. All right, Peter Kersenow, we've talked about the old man, Joe Biden, and talking about what has led to this inflation. He blames Putin. Uh, let's listen to an old woman give her, her uh, uh, appraisal of this. Democrats in Congress put forth solutions to tackle inflation. But my colleagues across the aisle have consistently voted against every solution. Let me go over some examples. Democrats passed a bill with $28 million in funding to address the baby formula shortage, but Republicans voted no. We passed legislation to crack down on price gouging from oil, gas companies, and Republicans voted no. Last week, Democrats passed by Racial Equity, Inclusion, and Economic Justice Act, and you guessed it, Republicans voted no. So that's why there's inflation, Peter. That's why there's energy uh, inflation. That's why there's inflation on goods and uh, services all across this country, because Republicans don't want inflation to go down. That's Mad Max, of course. And you say what? I say, you know, Mad Max and I have a history together, and she doesn't disappoint. Uh, She may be, (laughs) if Joe Biden is the dumbest male in the government, Maxine Waters makes a strong case for being the dumbest female in all of government. What she's talking about there, of course, has nothing to do with inflation. But even if you were to accept we, the premise, we need, a, somehow, we need an hour on that. I'm sorry because Sheila Jackson Lee just jumped into my head. So did Alexandria Damasio Cortez. Uh, no, no, no. Max, There's a fight there. I've, I've dealt with all of them. I've do, do, you, okay. you know, they all they they, they 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 strive mightily for that crown, no doubt about it. But I give it to Maxine Waters because she's been consistent over a long period of time. That's what okay. an MVP does. You know, <laughs> I'll trust your judgment. <laughs> Go ahead. Right, but in any event. Um, the things that she's talking about, not only will they not uh, you know, do anything with respect to inflation, but, but think about the premise. The premise is we want to spend more money to curb inflation. That's what it is. They want to spend more money, more money on this, more money on that, more money to reduce inflation when that has been the cause of inflation. That's how stupid this is, even if those little minor tweaks, even if money, spending money by the government didn't contribute to inflation, those little minor tweaks in a economy, this mammoth, would have absolutely no effect, even if you were to accept their premises. But I wanted to say one thing, Bob, before, before I forget. Sure. Uh, when I was in Staple and Airport in Denver, I was accosted by t- two people. Um, they said, hey, I see you on Fox. And, uh, you know, I tried to say, no, that's not me, because you never know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> but they listened to the Bob France show by uh, uh, streaming on, on, on their computers. And, and so I just want to say a shout out, because they asked me to do this, to Jerry and Arlene. And I'm not even sure where they're from because we had a, a layover, so they could be from somewhere in the Chicago area. But anyway, you got fans all over the country is what wow, I'm saying. Wow, that is phenomenal. Let me say thank you to them for their, uh, for their loyal listening, wherever they may be. And thank you, Pete. 
You just made my day. Uh, I'm going to wreck yours in a couple of minutes when we bring up the next topic <laughs> right after this on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. From the depravity of the radical left. Always right radio with Bob Fratz on The Answer. 1038, we continue now. Peter Kirstenau still with us on AM 1420. The Answer making a rare Thursday appearance since he was out of state on Tuesday and, of course, missed our 100th anniversary gala that we held out at Harry Buffalo. Uh, really sorry you weren't there, Pete. It was a great time. A lot of fans were asking where you were because uh, we had just about everybody who's a part of, uh, of AM 1420, the answer there, including uh, many of my fill-in hosts. Yourself, of course, would have included, but Khalid Namar and Rob Walgate, our good, man, good friend Tom Kelly was there. It was a great time. Um, so let's, uh, let's catch up here now, Peter. Um, there's a couple of things I know you want to talk about with respect to what's going on in the country, like illegal immigration. We've been talking about energy, energy and so forth, and, uh, and, and including polling. According to most surveys, and in fact there have been several, not more than two, I won't say three, four, five, but more than two, I know for a fact, of Hispanic voters. Of course, there's all kinds of demographic polling, but but particularly Hispanic voters, which have always been a very loyal support or uh, uh, base of support for the Democrat Party. Joe Biden, in in at least the last three surveys that I have seen, is polling in the twenties in terms of approval right. rating with Hispanic voters. The most recent. Uh, showed 22, so we're low 20s, uh, 22% approval, which has to signal disaster for the Democrats, both in the midterms coming up in November and if this guy is actually going to try to walker his way to a podium and run again in 2024. The real question is, is if he is or he isn't, who is going to be at the other podium? I want to play a quick clip here for you, then give you a statistic and get your thoughts on this. Here's the clip. Has closed the gap with Donald Trump. Eight months ago, Trump led DeSantis by 25 points in a University of New Hampshire poll. Now, DeSantis leads by two points, a statistical tie with Donald Trump in that poll in the state of New Hampshire. The poll also shows DeSantis would outperform Trump against Joe Biden. Trump loses to Biden in this poll by seven points. DeSantis and Biden locked in a statistical tie. DeSantis with a one-point edge. Okay. Ron DeSantis is surging in popularity for some very, very good reasons here. And, Pete, last week on the program, I cited a a Twitter poll, non-scientific. It's just Twitter, but it's a pretty popular. It was a a writer for the Post Millennial, which is very, very popular conservative news page. The the writer had 400-some thousand followers. And in a survey that they did, or she did, rather, it was um, over 50,000 votes cast, among presumably among conservative followers of her page. And it was not close. DeSantis, 64, to Trump, 36. So, Peter, we're one year away from announcements being made of campaigns. You know, it's, it was in June of 2015 that Trump uh, came down that escalator and said, I'm in for the, uh, for the November 2016 race. So we're one year from that right now. And Ron DeSantis is surging in a huge way in a lot of different surveys. Should he be the next standard bearer for this party to go up against, whether it's whether it's Biden or whether they go slumming for for more candidates or start drafting new blood like Gavin Newsom? 
is uh, is Ron DeSantis the right man to lead, or should the Republican Party remain loyal to Trump? Yeah, that's an excellent question. I posed it to your audience when you allowed me to guest host for you a little over a week ago and got a lot of interesting responses. Before I get into that, kudos to your most excellent engineer for his song selection. By the way, I want, it's not... I. Uh, Beat is getting stronger, and I want to take you higher. It's actually Pete is getting stronger. <laughs> so, but well done. <laughs> I like it. Go. Um, you know, the, the, it, we got a lot of interesting, uh, interesting responses from your listening audience when I posed that question, and I'm still agnostic about it. I mean, it, you know, you and I, Bob, for the last several years have talked about Trump. We were Trump supporters very early on, we, although we had some skepticism during the primaries, but became full-throated Trump supporters once he won the tri- primary. And the guy is an amazing individual. He did incredible things. We could go through the litany of accomplishments that he had, and I think all, all of your listeners remember the halcyon, the golden era that only lasted for a few years, unfortunately, under Trump. Everything was better. Everything was better. We had record highs in all the things we want highs in, as opposed to right now where we have record highs in all the things we don't want to have highs in. It was, it was an extraordinary period of time. I know that a number of my colleagues and friends decided that it was time for them to retire because of their 401ks. And now, you know, the president doesn't have control of over 401ks, but he does have a significant impact on the economy based on a lot, a lot of his policy prescriptions. And that was the case. The economy was going just completely bad out of hell. Um, I think that, having said that, and despite the fact that I think everybody in your listening audience, if it came down to Trump versus any Democrat, would be, you know, crawling over broken glass to vote for Trump. There is a bit of trepidation. We should acknowledge it. This is not being anti-Trump at all. Uh, it's simply acknowledging reality. We are in desperate straits right now. We can't continue down this path for too much longer. No, no fans or buts about it. We cannot have another four years of Joe Biden or any Democrat the way they're currently constituted. It's national death from which we may not be able to dig out. Now, that, that sounds histrionic. Um, but not at the, I think your audience would agree, not at the rate we're going and not in terms of uh, the impact, the downstream impacts of the cultural changes that are happening that are being promoted by Democrats also. So this is an election we want to win desperately. And I think for many people, they're taking a utilitarian approach to this, despite the fact that they've got tremendous you know, appreciation for what Donald Trump did and the way he reoriented the way conservatives think, the fact that we are now a fighting party to some extent. I mean, we still have the ossified folks in, in the Beltway and the Republican Party who, you know, always want to get along, get along. They're, you know, Republican light and they're, they're part of the Uniparty. But nonetheless, Trump showed the way, the, the way to fight back the right way, to not not to sit back and take a punch, but punch back twice as hard. And that's what drives the Democrats in the media. But I repeat myself, completely nuts. They've never seen a national Republican like this. The attraction of DeSantis is he brings a lot of that pugnacity that Trump has. Uh, We see him punching back, like with Disney is just one example, but there have been so many others where he has done, and he's getting ahead of the curve, where he passes legislation where he sees an emerging issue, you know, ahead of time to protect parents, to protect, frankly, Americans. And, you know, one measure of whether or not we want to have a Republican standard bearer, a particular Republican standard bearer, is how much grief he gets from the other side in the media, and the media is apoplectic about DeSantis. Not quite the same as Trump. No one does it like Trump. But DeSantis is like kind of a uh, smooth, a little smoother around the edges, Trump, and the, I think, analysis, the 
calculus that a lot of conservatives have is, thank you so much, uh, President Trump, for what you've done and the model that you've created for us. Um, but we need to win. And Trump is like, in many cases, the way many people talk about Clinton for Republicans. Clinton makes people in the Republican Party crawl over broken glass to vote against her. Unfortunately, Trump does the same thing for Democrats, and he would rally their base. And uh, I still think he'd win. I really do, but can't take the chance. So, and I'm not saying that I would go for either Trump, Trump or DeSantis right now. I have to admit, I'm slightly leaning right now toward Trump, uh, whereas you know maybe a year ago I was you know completely all in with Trump. Um, I still think Trump can be more effective than anybody because, again, because this guy is a bull in a china shop and he knows how to get things done. Um, DeSantis is like a baby bull, um, but he seems to be a little shrewder and he avoids some of the pitfalls. You can't as a conservative. They're always going to come after you. But he avoids some of the pitfalls that Trump, you know, leaps into uh, with both feet. Again, not a criticism of Trump, because I think his personality is such that you got to take that aspect of it with all the great stuff that he does. So this is, you know, this is a, uh, a conundrum for a lot of conservatives. Uh, I think I would look at it as a blessing that we have two potential outstanding candidates in a way we haven't had, at least in, I can't think of anybody in my lifetime or, or a situation like this in my lifetime, where Republicans were blessed to have two people who are legitimate substantive standard bearers for the conservative cause and will fight, won't simply make lip service like we have with a lot of folks who, you know, in the past I had supported, but now with the example of Trump, you know that, boy, we could have had much more back then than we really did. We had too many conservatives, alleged conservatives and Republicans capitulating to Democrats because they were afraid of what the New York Times was going to say. Neither DeSantis nor Trump care about the New York Times. In fact, they like to, to really rattle the New York Times. It's another thing that we like about DeSantis and Trump. Mm-hmm. So um, I look at it as a blessing. You know, either way, I don't think we can lose. And the question when it comes down to crunch time next year, if it gets down to the primaries, if both of them are in, and I think Trump is going to run, and it looks like DeSantis will probably run, the one thing that I think I got from your listeners is a, a, a concern that I think many of us share, and I do, is that um, if they're both in the primaries next year, I hope, I don't think DeSantis will do this, but we've seen President Trump, uh, you know, he's, he, he, he's got sharp elbows. I'm hoping that during the primary process, um, there isn't a bloodletting that hurts either of the candidates, that is, that so turns off supporters of Trump or supporters of DeSantis, that they may be disinclined to vote in the general election. I doubt that's going to happen because everyone knows the stakes. So even if, you know, Trump angers DeSantis supporters during the primary and and Trump gets the nomination nonetheless, I I still think DeSantis supporters will come out and vote for Trump because the stakes are so high. Um, But I I am a little bit concerned about that. And I pose that same question to um, the uh, folks at McFan and at least one other place where I spoke recently. And I think that is the concern that many of them share, that they hope that the two candidates don't, you know, bloody themselves so much that it hurts them in the general. That's a lot, uh, Pete. Um, I want to respond to some of it and get some follow-up questions in here, but we don't have a ton of time, so let me just try to try to do some of this. Um, 
First of all, don't say, in my opinion, you know, not to criticize Trump. I think we can, we can, we can criticize Trump. We have to be able to criticize our own. We have to be able to say this is a bad quality that he needs to fix, that he needs to work on, et cetera, because we cannot hero worship, not, not, and, and do the right thing here. So, so don't be afraid to say that sometimes he does jump into things with both feet that he shouldn't. Uh, you say that's part of his personality. Yes, it is. And it's a bad part of his personality. It hurts him and it hurts his ability to win. It hurts his ability to, to generate support from people who are not, uh, all in MAGA for America First red hat wearers. So it's important, I think, to say, you know, this is good, this is bad. Second thing is um, crawling over bro- broken glass. Your point there about, you know, Republicans would do so to stop Hillary, and I will tell you this, agreed, by the way, first. Second of all, I will forever, we will forever be in debt to Donald Trump for doing what he did, for, for getting into that race, for beating Absolutely. Hillary when no one else could have. I wanted to believe that Ted Cruz could have. <clears throat> I think looking back on it, he wouldn't have. Uh, it took something very unique and very special to beat her, and Donald Trump did that. We will always owe him for, for that. And not just that, but for running the country against all odds in, in I mean, persecution, <laughs> persecution and obstruction uh, that, that has never, ever been seen before in American politics. To do the things he did was remarkable, and I will always owe him for that. Having said that, the broken glass thing that you just mentioned is real. Um, not only will Democrats crawl over broken glass to vote against Donald Trump, and I don't know that they would be as dedicated and willing to do so to stop around DeSantis, who doesn't rub people the wrong way in the same way Trump does. But they'll do more, Peter, than crawl over broken glass to vote for uh, the Democrat candidate just to stop Trump. They are willing to cheat to stop Trump. They are willing to defraud an election to stop Trump. There is nothing that they will stop at in order to stop Donald Trump. I don't think DeSantis um, has has earned that level of hatred. He's Hitler, uh, you know, type of uh, you know, type of uh, revulsion that that the, that the Democrat Party has reserved only for Donald Trump. And I'll and I'll close with this before I let you finish the thoughts here. <clears throat> I mentioned this in the top of the show. I was listening to Hugh this morning, and Hugh Hugh had had a call. He was asking people what they're doing with their summers since the the gas prices are wrecking their plans. And somebody called, and they answered that a little bit. And then he said, um, uh, the the caller did, he said, I was talking to one of my family members who's a devoted, diehard Democrat. And Hugh jokingly said, don't do that, because, of course, he's right. That's how you lose your family members if you talk about these things. But he, he, after listing all of the problems that this country is having, he said to his, um, his female family member who's a leftist, please tell me one thing that is better in your life right now under Joe Biden than mm-hmm. it was right. under, under, under Donald Trump. One thing. And her only response was, I feel better. That's yeah. it. Yeah, that's now, what it is. I, I think, think about that. And, and, right? and, and that's why if I'm forced to make a call right now, I'm, I might look to the guy who is 35 years younger, has the same America First platform, the same willingness to take on all comers, uh, the guy who's a, a, a Navy hero, a Navy war hero, who served at Guantanamo Bay, advised SEAL teams, uh, and so on. I mean, uh, awarded the Bronze Star. Uh, he's articulate, he's smart, he is charming, and he is willing to stab back at those who come for him, but to do it in a way that doesn't engender so much revulsion that Donald Trump does. I would be leaning now, a year away from even declarations of can- candidacies, I would be leaning toward DeSantis for those reasons. And I'll, I'll yeah. let you finish it up. 
I think that's the sentiment that I've been hearing a lot of, that in the primary, they'd go to Santos. Of course, they vote for Trump in the general election if it came down to that. Um, they, they understand that Trump brings out Democrats and the media by, I repeat myself, like no one in history, and we can't afford to lose. I think Trump would be a more aggressive president. He would shorten the time frame by which we could restore America to its founding principles than DeSantis would, simply because Trump is that bull in the China shop. He's like no one we've ever seen before. DeSantis is like kind of the baby bull, you know? And he seems to be a little bit more sophisticated when it comes to trying to get policy prescriptions passed. He doesn't go out of his ways, way to aggravate people. And let's, let's face it, let's all face it, your entire listening audience enjoyed tremendously the way Trump would tweak, not just tweak, where it's stab these people and, and turn the knife over a few times. We enjoyed it because we'd not seen it before. But the stakes right now are we have to save the republic. Uh, we can't allow this. The, the trajectory we're on is a very, very dangerous one. And we can't allow even another four more years of this to continue. Who knows whether or not we can you know, dig out of this. Um, I will vote for whoever I think is going to win in 2024. Uh, if that is, like by the time we get around to the higher primaries, if it looks like Trump is on a roll and, uh, you know, uh, you know, we want to make sure that, uh, you know, Trump gets as much support as possible. You know, I, I, I suppose that it doesn't hurt to support a Trump. But right now, uh, I think DeSantis has got the momentum by virtue of the polls that you, you cited. I mean, it's it's truly extraordinary. You went from just a few months ago in New Hampshire. It was I think it was October. Trump was ahead 43 to 18. And now DeSantis is ahead 39 to 37. And in addition to that, I think. The good news for both of them is the Hispanic vote has really rejected not just Biden, but the Democratic Party, because, if, you know, you've probably seen, as your listeners have, the segments by Mario Flores, the Hispanic female Republican who won along the border of Texas, a district that was held for 150 years, unbroken by Democrats, that Biden won by 12 points, and she won, and signals a shift because Democrats have abandoned Hispanics, who they believe are, you know, part of the this multicultural coalition uh, that, uh, you know, is liberal and progressive. And as Myra Flores said, look, to her constituents, she said, do you believe in God or the Democratic Party? Do you believe in family or the Democratic Party? And it kind of opened up everybody's eyes. The Democratic Party's policy prescriptions are anathema to what most Hispanics believe and think. But it's been the problem of the Republican Party that they have abandoned who they believe they can't get the vote from, such as black constituencies. They don't come into black neighborhoods because they've almost ceded it to Democrats. And the same with respect to Hispanics. Now that they've had their eyes open with Yesley Vega and Myra Flores and certain others, Finally, maybe the Republicans will make a stab at getting more of the Hispanic vote. Because as you indicated, there's a 24% approval rating among Hispanics, the lowest among any ethnic group for Joe Biden. And that's an opportunity, a political opportunity, but it's also a moral opportunity because we've got a country to save. Peter Kersenow, very, very well argued, very well analyzed. That's why we love having you on. Peter, thank you so much. I appreciate you coming in on a Thursday since we missed you on Tuesday. Uh, and the great thing about you coming in on Tuesday, it's only four more days till you're back again. We get you on Tuesday. So uh, we, don't have to wait a, we don't have to wait another week to continue this conversation. We will talk to you on Tuesday, Pete. Have a great rest of your week. We'll see you then. You too, Bob. All right. Uh, 10.57. We'll take a time out here. We're going to get news. And on the flip side of the news... 
we're going to talk about Twitter. We're going to talk about Elon Musk, and we're going to talk about what's going on behind closed doors. We know because of Project Veritas. We're going to talk to the press secretary for Project Veritas after the news. Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Always Right Radio, hour number three underway now, 10 minutes past 11 o'clock. It's a Thursday, the 23rd morning of the sixth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Don't forget to check online at alwaysright.us for the latest conservative news and views, the stuff you're not going to hear from the legacy media, and the stuff you probably will never see on Twitter, at least until Elon Musk uh, takes full control and uh, actually starts uh, pushing the free speech principles that he says guide his life and that he says are the most important things uh, that uh, that need to be respected in the Twitter in the in the Twitterverse. Uh, democracy to, to, to function well, I think it's essential to have uh, a free speech um, and for and to be able to communicate yeah, just communicate freely. Um, now, the you know the, the free speech stuff does need to be you know it's, it's free speech within within the context of the law. So it's not, I'm not definitely not suggesting that we you know um, just flout the law because we'll get, we'll get shut down in that case. Um, and and I think there's also um, this freedom of speech and freedom of reach. And uh, you know, freedom of speech is one thing because you know, like anyone could just go into the middle of Times Square right now and say anything they want. They just walk into the middle of, of Times Square and deny the Holocaust. Okay, yes, stop them. They will just do that. But that doesn't mean you have to. That needs to be promoted to millions of people. Um, so, uh, so I think people should be allowed to say, you know, pretty outrageous things that are within the bounds of the law. But, but, but then they don't, you know, it doesn't get amplified. It doesn't get, you know, a, a ton of reach. What an amazing concept. Free speech, but within the bounds of the law. What a, what a unique idea uh, for a social media platform to embrace. That was Elon Musk. You weren't supposed to hear that. That was leaked audio slash video from Elon Musk's address to Twitter employees from June 16th about the essential nature of free speech. He also talked about his own political ideology, how that might impact how he's going to run Twitter when he takes it over. Uh, this was essentially, again, you know, the introduction of Elon Musk to 
so many Twitter leftists who acknowledge their own political biases uh, and whether or not they're going to want to be uh, st- stick around to work for him and whether or not Twitter will indeed be safe and free for people of all ideologies. Joining us now to talk about this is um, a representative of the organization that made that video slash audio possible. Project Veritas has done such amazing work going inside some of the most corrupt organizations, doing some of the most abhorrent things, and exposing them to uh, the light of day. And joining us now is R.C. Maxwell. He is the press secretary for Project Veritas to talk about how they got this and what it means. R.C. joins us from New York City here in Cleveland, Ohio. Thanks for the time, R.C. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. You're not gay or black, are you? I am definitely black. You are black. Okay, are you gay, though? Because we have to announce these things. You see, press secretary is the first thing we were told when Corinne Jean-Pierre took the job is she's black and she's gay, and everybody needs to acknowledge her blackness and her gayness because it's historic. So I just want to make sure if you need to get any of those demographic inf- uh, pieces of information out there that we, we acknowledge what needs to be acknowledged. So just double-checking on you. Well, well, well thanks. I- I'm historically black, and thanks for, for being inclusive. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That stuff drives me nuts. I don't give a rip what anybody is or who they are or who they like to go to sleep with. Tell me if you can do your job and Kareen can't do her job. But that's aside. That's another conversation for another day. Okay, so RC, let's talk about, first of all, how this was obtained. Obviously, I'm not asking for trade secrets here, but I mean, this is phenomenal how, uh, you know, Project Veritas has managed to get inside Pfizer and get information with some of the most, you know, important people in the Pfizer research departments, how you've gone inside Planned Parenthood and so many other places at great personal risk, uh, to, you know, the organization and its individual members. Um, so getting inside Twitter is a big deal right now. Can you give us any of the background? Yes. Well, you know, obviously, like you said, without giving away trade secrets, you know, I can tell you that we got this the same way we get a lot of stuff because we're one of the few media organizations that will, you know, um, uh, be an outlet for people to get uh, messages out uh, and get things to the people that are of vital importance. So this was no different. We got this from uh, someone on the inside of Twitter who, uh, you know, recorded Elon Musk's first address to Twitter, and this is newsworthy because, yes, you know, social media is the prominent way of getting messages out, and Twitter is one of the largest social media companies that exist. They've been subject to congressional hearings because of their significance and because of their importance. So, you know, Elon Musk addressed employees for the first time and kind of talked about the new direction of Twitter, how he wanted to, quote, evolve the company. And this was very intriguing because, as you alluded to, the political affiliations of people who work for Twitter, which allegedly, according to their previous CEO, Jack Dorsey, that has nothing to do with how the company operates, where we're kind of seeing before our very eye that that actually is not the case. And Twitter employees' political affiliations are very much important to how the, the platform. Well, you know, uh, we're talking... Apparently uh, getting... Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Your phone glitched and cut out on us. I thought you had stopped talking. My apologies. Please continue. A glimpse into one of the most important companies that exists from a social media perspective and how political affiliation uh, changes the way that the public can actually use that platform. And Elon Musk wants to change that. Yeah, and and that is extraordinarily important. Uh, we're talking with R.C. Maxwell. He is the press secretary for Project Veritas. And by the way, one answer in, and you are already better than the White House press secretary and her predecessor, uh, Madam Circleback. <laughs> uh, so you, you're all, you're 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 way better than that. Now, now, R.C. Um, 
when when we talk about what uh, Project Veritas was able to expose in this particular Elon Musk meeting uh, with all Twitter employees, I, I want to hit you know another part of this. Project Veritas also uh, has you know uh, interviews and and videos up with other Twitter engineers and Twitter senior advisors or or whatever their personnel is admitting in the undercover videos that twitter does not believe in free speech that we are left 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 i think there was like five lefts in the in the in the audio that i heard and he said we're pretty much straight up commie or at least a lot of us are straight up commie those are the more important videos even i think than elon musk talking about his vision and his view to the twitter employees because this gives us you know some real insight into how it's been run for the last ten years and how and why it has kicked so many conservative individuals off of the platform for what they term to be you know promotions of violence for example yet the president of russia who who invaded a foreign country and is killing thousands still has a twitter account there's really no other explanation other than than what these uh, individuals in the undercover videos are admitting, is there? Well, that's correct. And, and, and the elephant in the room is that this means these justifications for censorship, these terms that were used about, you know, safety, inclusivity, um, hate speech, all of these justifications are merely a ruse to cover up the fact that um, people with a certain political slant want to silence people of the other political slant. And that's just a kind of um, imbalance, this kind of political violence that you don't see in institutions of America, which means there's a very sinister kind of Rubicon that we've crossed. And these videos you're talking about, you're talking about Siru Marugasan, a senior Twitter engineer, saying everyone at Twitter is, quote, commie AF. Um, and you're talking about Alex Martinez, someone who's actually speaking at events on behalf of Twitter. You talk about the kind of representation Alex Martinez represents. He made fun of Elon Musk for having Asperger's. He also talked about the reason why Twitter isn't profitable, because of their ideology. He's pretty much admitting that Twitter would prefer to have this kind of slanted, communist, socialist ideology that kind of seeps into the way that they manage and censor accounts, which is a problem when you're talking about Twitter being an outlet for news. It's a problem when you're talking about elected representatives needing to use the platform in order to get a message out to their constituents. So behind this, the elephant in the room behind all these Twitter videos, that there's something very deep and problematic within the fabric of American institutions, in which case this is allowed to go on. And this is, according to the news, how Twitter operates is normal. And Elon Musk is evil for trying to impose free speech on the platform. Yeah, very well said. We're talking to R.C. Maxwell, Project Veritas Press Secretary. You know, you, you, I think a lot of people you know, refer to Twitter as being kind of the modern town square. It's where people go to talk about things. It's so much more than social media, though. And when we talk about the regulation of Twitter or what should be some sort of regulation of how they, uh, how they decide who gets banned, who gets censored, what their quote-unquote uh, uh, standards are, community standards are, uh, I, I like to think of it in a different way because people have stopped reading newspapers. People have stopped watching newscasts. People say, I wake up in the morning and I click on Twitter to see what's in the news. It has become de facto press. It is not just a place for people to discuss. It's a place where politicians go to make statements. It's a way, a way for pre- actual press agencies, media companies to get their messaging out. People go to Twitter to get the news. So as such, doesn't just First Amendment you know, don't First Amendment protections apply here um, that Twitter has to allow all presentations of news to exist. 
Uh, meaning it's it's literally a violation of free speech in the First Amendment if you ban Donald Trump but not say somebody else who says something that is maybe equally outrageous on the left. And we all know that it is not that way. So so can news well, you know, be so biased? Can can news be allowed to be so biased um, if we do view Twitter in this you know through the lens of of actually being media uh, and press and not necessarily a place for people to chat? Well, you know that's a, that's a great question and. You know, Elon Musk, even on the call, he talks about how news media functions. And he, t- he says, take a look at any news article on a subject that you understand or a subject that you know. Take a look at a news article on that. Does the media ever get that right? He says, no, they almost never get it right. They don't 100% get it wrong, but they almost never get it right. So he says Twitter is this kind of interesting outlet um, that can kind of circumvent and sidestep those problems. And you're asking a very foundational, a constitutional question. We're just witnessing before our very eyes a huge Supreme Court case today on concealed carry in New York City, a moment I thought would never happen. So how do we know necessarily that there won't be a, mo- a moment in which the Supreme Court will decide that what Twitter is doing is, is, is a, an affront to free speech? I think that moment could come. It may come. But even if it doesn't come, I think you're asking a very foundational question. If Twitter is, is, is a a conduit for free speech, and if an entire subset of people are not allowed to access that, that's a problem. And, and, and one interesting thing from that conversation on the phone call, Elon Musk has asked, you know, Twitter is an inclusive space. You know, what are you going to do to make it inclusive? And Elon says, well, I cannot think of any more inclusive definition, uh, or, sorry, a, defi- a better definition of inclusive than everyone, all humans. And he wants Twitter to, he wants more people on Twitter. You know, it seems that Twitter wants less people on Twitter. Elon wants more people on Twitter. So uh, interesting to see this kind of unveil before our very eyes. And I think this kind of transparency is what the American people seek. And at Project Veritas, we're happy to provide that. That is perfectly stated and analyzed. That's a great, I love that. Uh, more people rather than less people. And you're right. They, you know, Twitter, as currently constructed or it has, as it has been, wants only certain people. They literally don't want inclusiveness, uh, at least when it comes to ideas. They may want inclusiveness when it comes to, you know, sex or race or gender or whatever, uh, but they don't want it when it comes to ideas. They want it to be essentially an echo chamber. Now, right. I, I mean, I'm, 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 as we alluded to, I, I'm black and I actually was banned on Twitter. I used to be verified i was banned on twitter back in 2017 and uh and, and uh, what was I'm not your a crime if I, what was your crime if i might ask what did they did they tell you uh, it was um jonathan capehart and i from msnbc had an exchange about the government shutdown the first government shutdown mm-hmm. and uh you know i took issue with his uh explanation of the facts i didn't use any colorful language i didn't use any curse words and um they banned me for harassment harassment um, so yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, RC, I, I got banned from Facebook. Not for, I quit Twitter three years ago myself because, and I and I wasn't massive. I had like thirty five thousand followers, but I enjoyed it. Except that I didn't enjoy it. It was toxic, uh, and more importantly, things that I would say would get shadow banned. Things that you know used to get you know one hundred fifty likes are getting five likes. Nobody's seeing it. So I just got done with it all. This is even before they banned Trump. Um, but on Facebook, I got suspended in the Facebook jail thing for similar to what you said was not in, in fact, I don't even think I was in a dispute or debate with somebody. I posted 
posted two minutes of Robert Malone's speech in Washington D.C. He, if you probably uh, know, is the uh, is the the inventor, the patent holder of the mRNA technology that led to the COVID shots. I won't call them vaccines, but anyway, this guy knows a little bit about it, and I posted him speaking about two minutes of it, and I was banned for misinformation, which is a violation of the community standards. How about that misinformation? So, do you know, based on Elon, anything you guys have uncovered at Project Veritas RC, how they're going to deal with? Uh, the leftists calling for, hey, you can't, it might not be hate speech, but you can't allow disinformation that can cause, uh, health problems for people to be, to be, you know, to be published and pushed on this platform. That's an interesting fact. It, is the U.S. government forcing these social media companies to abide by, um, censorship or to abide by these standards of what is and what is not misinformation or disinformation? Um, so yes. far, we've seen statements from uh, Jen Psaki, press secretary, saying that the United States government is working alongside social media companies to invoke these sorts of censorship. But it doesn't make it seem as if it's a forced relationship. Maybe well, maybe, 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 maybe back then, RC, I apologize for the intrusion of your answer, but uh, maybe when Saki was still there, that was the case. But as you know, it was only a week ago, I think, the announcement was made that Kamala Harris, the vice president, is going to oversee the task force, the, uh, the online, they call, they're calling it an online harassment task force, which is a new name for the disinformation governance board with Nina Jankowicz that they, 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 they sh- shuttered uh, literally about a week or two after it, after it was born. They are going to do this to try to, to shut down misinformation on climate change, probably COVID or vaccinations and so on and so forth. So the answer to your question, I think right now today is yes, the government is indeed going to force this on social media companies. Whether Elon goes for that is the real question. Which means which means we have a very interesting fight, a fight ahead of us. If Elon Musk it, it genuinely wants to bring his free speech view, his free speech goal to Twitter, then he is going, going to be going up against the government. And from what I can tell, if Project Veritas will still be able to have the access that we currently have, it seems the American public will get a first-row seat to that fight um, as it unfolds because uh, we have people, multiple people, on the inside of Twitter. Yeah, very well said. Uh, I'm so glad to know that. Thank goodness you do. Project Veritas is a national treasure. Treasure, not uh, you know, it's an old cliche to say not all heroes wear capes, but I mean that the the organization James O'Keefe and every one of you who works for him and them uh, are heroes because you are you are bringing the light of transparency to uh, to some darkness that that needs to be exposed. Hey, by the way, super quick, um, uh, you're not probably not going to have to deal with Jonathan Capehart very much longer. You know, he's fleeing America because he's black. You did see that, right? Did I did not see that. Did, you didn't so see his. Did you didn't see his article. He wrote an article in which he talked about it's time for Black Americans, African Americans. I don't know if you said Black or African. I'm not into the PC thing. Um, but but for African Americans to get ready to flee America because of the growing threat of white uh, extremism and white nationalism, it is putting everybody in danger. He literally said he and other Blacks are considering uh, uh, a bailing, or at least if you aren't considering it yet, you better start because that that, that time is coming fast. He wrote it about a week ago if you want since we hooked up with you via email i'll have uh, my guy johnny send you the send you the link so you can have a look and have a good laugh yeah definitely send me that and uh, you know jonathan i think you should stick around at least until next black history month we've got some good stuff planned <laughs> love it love it project veritas does such great work rc maxwell uh press secretary rc thank you for having a sense of humor by the way as we talk about all these very important issues keep up the great work and uh, hopefully we'll talk again thank you
Thank you so much. That's R.C. Maxwell from Project Veritas taking us to our news break. So we'll take this time out. We'll come back. I'm going to see if I can send this to him, by the way. i got to find that link again. But Jonathan Capehart literally says black people need to consider fleeing America because it's no longer safe for them. How about that? Quick time out. Uh, back after the news, AM 1420, The Answer. Keeping you informed among the uninformed. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. It's 11.39. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420. The Answer, one more short segment here before we turn it over to Bill O'Reilly to carry it the rest of the way till the top of the hour. Then you get an hour at Charlie Kirk before Dennis Prager. So make sure you stick around here. Um, just quick... Uh, Follow up on what I was just talking about with R.C. Uh, Maxwell from uh, uh, Project Veritas. I didn't really talk about this article very much um, when it came out earlier this month. It was June 8th, so it's a couple of weeks old now. But Washington Post writer Jonathan Capehart wrote an article declaring that black people in America may need to flee the country soon. In the face of an apparently growing population of, quote, crazy white people, end quote, who are, quote, not to be trifled with, end quote. In the essay published in the Post, entitled, Why Black People Are Afraid of Crazy White People, columnist and associate editor Jonathan Capehart begins by letting readers in on a little secret, that black people don't fear typical white people, but rather crazy ones. Things felt so dicey during the Trump years, he writes. I half joked that my husband and I, yes, 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 you heard that right, Jonathan Capehart, half joked that, quote, my husband and I might have to reenact that scene from The Sound of Music and flee the country. Now an alarming new report from the Southern Poverty Law Center shows that my Operation Von Trapp might need to go live, he said. The ranks of crazy white people appear to be growing, and the rest of us don't know what to do about it. Now, I'm just going to stop there uh, not read you any more from his article, except to point out the obvious. Despite being 13% of the population, and whites being over 70% of the population, more white people are killed and assaulted with violent crime every year by black people than the other way around. Most of the violence, particularly homicides, that go on in this country are within the same racial demographic. In other words, more blacks kill blacks, more whites kill whites. Within their own demographics, Roughly 92 to 95% of homicides of black people are by other black people. For whites, it's close. It's around 85%. Most uh, white homicide victims were killed by other white people. That's general, a general fact. is very easily looked up. It's in the FBI crime statistics and so on and so forth. But when it comes to interracial crime, when it comes to one race on another, despite being only 13% of the population, more black people kill white people than white people kill black people. And the number when 
adjusted for proportionality, you know, for for numbers, um, it's not close. It's extraordinary. It really is. There's a reason why former presidential candidate Jesse Jackson once said when he was on the presidential campaign trail, he once talked about walking down the street after dark in New York City and hearing footsteps behind him, spinning his head around and seeing that it was a white person and feeling a sense of relief. That wasn't, uh, you know, that 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 wasn't a, a white presidential candidate. That was a that was a black man, Jesse Jackson, Rainbow Coalition, the whole nine yards. That was a black man saying he was more afraid if it would have been a black person following him than if it would have been a white person. I won't speak to his opinion. I just tell you what he said, and I'll tell you when Jonathan Capehart suggests that this country is too dangerous for black people because of white people. Well, that's just dishonest for the sake of being dishonest. It's not anywhere close to being the truth. There are a lot of black people killed every year, and 90 to 95% of them are killed by other black people, not by, quote, crazy white people that might make us have to flee the country. It's an astounding claim, really. I'm surprised RC had not heard of it, but I was glad to share it with him, which I did during the break. All right, listen, uh, if I left you on hold, I do apologize. Sometimes the clock gets away from us. It's just the way that it is. The good news is tomorrow is something we like to call Free for All Friday. That means we clear the decks and have a lot of time for phone calls on whatever issues are most important to you. So please call me tomorrow. I will talk to you then. I hope you have a great, safe day today. Remain free. It's it's all we can do. Remain free. November is a-coming. Everybody say it with me together now. Let's go, Brandon. Enjoy the silence. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.